another episode of the Emmanuel Pastors Podcast, a chance for you to listen in on a conversation between uh, Pastor Nathan and Pastor Theo at Emmanuel Baptist Church, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Mm. Sounds like you've got something to say. Uh, well, I think our um, we're this is episode 17, by the way, so <laughs> we're starting to... Uh, you know, branch out into other things, but we wanted to have a little conversation about what it means to be Baptist and why we're Baptist, and yeah. Um, so, I remember one time when we, these are the early days of replanting the church in the UIC area, we got some mailers. We were pretty proud of them, some pretty cool photography uh, from the neighborhood, and we sent them out to thousands of households and Half of them somehow got returned because we had a bad mailing list. Anyway, um, then we noticed a typo after they were all the glossy little postcards had come back, and it, and it said Emmanuel Baptist Church, <laughs> like a like a combination between Baptist and Amish, or or kind of Baptist but just not totally Baptist, kind of Baptish, which is kind of funny because I think that's at that time how I would have, you know, uh, said things. You know, the the church was already named Emmanuel Baptist Church before I came hmm. and I, I, I remember feeling like yeah I'm, I'm okay with that but I'm not you know a big flag waving Baptist hmm. but actually over the years as time's gone by I've, I'm, I'm I'm not just Baptish I'm I'm Baptist wow yeah I, I can't see I I can't see you as anything else than like this proud Southern Baptist figure that you are now <laughs> Well, I, I technically, you know, work for the the state uh, convention, so um, one day a week. That's my uh, I work for the Illinois Baptist State Association too. Yep. So, yep. but yeah, over over time, I've gotten more convinced. Um, but I'm still. I like to be a big tent evangelical as well. Sure. I like to. I, you know, still probably eight out of ten of my theological heroes were. Pedo Baptists, yeah. which means infant baptism, right. infant baptizing. So I'm I'm still Catholic, small C, and um, broad in in many ways, but 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 secure in my own Baptist kind of skin to inhabit that that wing of the of the you know the mansion that is Christianity. So what would you say? Uh if we had to break down, uh, if someone came to you like, like what, what are the distinctives of the Baptist household within this big family of Christians? Yeah, and that that image comes from I think C.S. Lewis. Yeah. The, yeah. the grand hallway is kind of yeah. like mere Christianity, but you can't live in the hallway. You gotta, you so. gotta find a, a room, um, with a, a fireplace, and that's where the real warmth and fellowship happens. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I guess we say this in joining the mission, you know, our introductory material to becoming a member of the church, but it really, it really does boil down to two things, and that's um, credo-baptism, which would be the, the opposite of pedo-baptism, which says that only uh, those giving a credible profession of faith should receive the sign of the new covenant, which is uh, baptism. And that that and then a kind of a 
subsidiary point of that is that baptism is immersion in water. Hmm. Um, so we don't baptize babies. That's number one. And number two, it kind of flows out of that understanding of the covenants and baptism and everything. But uh, local church autonomy, which means we don't have uh, a hierarchy of church structures outside of the local church that that um, can dictate or, you know, there's not a bishop over Chicago lands that can remove pastors from one church and put them someplace else or mm-hmm. exact dues out of a church. It's uh, each church is autonomous and uh, which they make their own decisions about admitting and dismissing members and calling pastors and budgets and mission and vision. And, uh, and yet we still voluntarily associate. We can talk more about that a little bit later, mm-hmm. but I think those would be the two things. What, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, for me, I, I, I think like I grew up uh, not, not really in a Baptist church, but like with the general Baptist Baptist? I, yeah, Baptist ideas. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I've, I've thought about paedo baptism and considered it and, 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 uh, thought about joining churches like that. But at the end of the day, uh, in my own study of the Bible and, and what, how I think, uh, how the, the new Testament community works, I, I think, I think it's pretty clear that they're made up of they're, they're supposed to be made up of authentic believers. Uh, so regenerate church membership. You'll yeah. hear that, that phrase. Yeah. yeah. Which means that the members of the church are those who have give evidence of regeneration. Yeah. Uh, they need to make a profession of faith. And um, instead of in the Presbyterian and Reformed kind of understanding, it's, it's uh, believers and their children. Right. And so you can have a mixed community of members of the church similar to Old Testament Israel. Some are regenerate, some may not be. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, we no church is perfect. There's, there's going to be people that, that, that are in your congregation that aren't Christians, but we try our best to hit that, hit that goal of everybody in the church knows the gospel, believes the gospel, has uh, been regenerate and serving Christ. As the anointing of the Spirit, as yep. First John would say. Yep, yep. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I was thinking about with, was like, your sermon series recently through First John, um, there's that phrase, and, and, and um, is it, where is it at? First no, John 2, which talks about, um, like, when the Antichrist comes and the people in the church, some of them are going to leave and stuff like that. John, John makes a pretty clear point there, like, well, they left because they were never a part of us. Right. And I, I think that, like, verses like that go to show that like in the new testament they're thinking in terms of um if if you're if you're really in with the church community there you're really saved you're really regenerate yeah that's the goal and again even in the first even in the new testament there it's not perfect equivalent but that is the that's the aim Mm -hmm. right yeah um yeah i similarly had um a, da- a time of really deep questioning about <laughs> I remember one time early early on kind of r- wrestling with some of the stuff 
even after I was a pastor here. <laughs> and uh, kind of jokingly said to Andrea, like, what would you think about being married to the pastor of Emmanuel Presbyterian Church? Um, not that I could single-handedly change that or anything, but just really investigate it because I think we, we, we've had an experience. We've had elders of the church uh, leave and become Presbyterians. We've had many people uh, through the years that kind of maybe grew up in something really fluffy, evangelical, hmm. uh, and then maybe heard John Piper and were like, whoa, meaty exposition, God's glory, Calvinism, yeah. And then they that's he's at Bethlehem Baptist Church, and they find Emmanuel Baptist Church, and it, we're kind of trying to... <laughs> You know that do that kind of hmm. robust, rigorous, heavy theology and joyful sobriety, all that stuff, and uh, and then they come in and they say, "Yeah, I'm reformed or I'm Calvinist," mm-hmm. and then realize like, "Oh, that means a whole lot more." And so maybe if I want to be truly reformed, you know, um, I need to actually go all the way yeah. to Calvin or um, the and it be a pedo baptist and so we've actually had lots of people that have come through our church that have gone that route and we've had to uh, pastorally and theologically work through that wrestle through that we have a position paper that we wrote several years ago on some of these things to really show that you can be reformed even capital r reformed mm-hmm. confessionally reformed and a baptist mm-hmm. uh, would it be helpful to recount some of that church history really fast? Um, I mean, we can. Uh, uh, there's there's different... The, the history of Baptists is, is kind of a hodgepodge of, of different groups and stuff like that. But um, when we say, when we're talking about Reformed Baptists, we're talking about a group who came uh, out of the separatist slash Puritan movement of the English Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um so basically, the you know the the, the English Reformation is, is messy, but there was the sort of move towards uh, away from Rome to an Anglican church government setup and stuff like that. Uh, but then there were Puritans within that movement who said, you know, you're still you're still holding on to Roman Catholic Romish Romish uh, doctrines, Romish. different like uh, elements. So we want to uh, be more biblical and be. Uh, centered on the word of God in our worship and mm-hmm. so that's where you get uh, your Puritans, that's where you get your uh, Congregationalists and eventually that all that boils down to where you get uh, your Reformed Baptists who put together the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession Yeah, and even before that, the First London Confession, so even right at the very beginning of some of this stuff, in the English speaking world there were particular, they were called particular Baptists mm-hmm. particular meaning not um what was the uh, i'm blanking on what the <laughs> but there were um arminian baptists at that yeah, time too yeah. that maybe would draw some of their heritage back into the continental anabaptists right. um that's not the stream we'd find ourselves in both of those streams came over to america we can go deeper into mm-hmm. all that but but yeah there was a reformed you know seeking to understand the doctrines of grace and the the great discoveries of the gospel in the Reformation, they but they they were also seeing uh, that uh, pedo baptism, you know, was a problem um, that had kind of crept into the the church as well throughout the the Middle Ages and 
in Constantinian Christianity. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and so they had their own confession, 1610, and then they, similar to the Savoy Declaration of the Congregationalists later in that century, uh, basically adopted the Westminster Confession of Faith with some Baptist tweaks on a few things, yeah. and that's the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, which comes over to the States and becomes the Charleston Confession and the Philadelphia Confession, which most of the people that started the Southern Baptist Convention um, would have held to as yeah. well. Yeah. I think one of the things, like, it, just to, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, but to, like, hold our Reformed flag up, like, part of the reason that they were adopting the structure of the Westminster Standards was to show, you know, like, we... We want to be part of this this family of reformed people, yeah. but we want to be very clear on where we disagree. So, mm-hmm. in, in the chapter where you talk about paedo baptism, we talk about why we disagree with that. Right. Um, so, I I'm pretty happy here. This is this <laughs> is nice. Yeah. Every no no historical. I mean, it's good to have a historical stream and a heritage. Yeah. Uh, to realize that I didn't just kind of come up with this by myself with my Bible today. I'm standing in a, in a tradition. That's good, and it gives you a mooring. But you also have to be realize that all these have some flaws. Sure. We're not, nobody's got it all right. But, right. Yeah. But yeah. I, I still, you know, I still have a lot of my my buddies or in like Anglican churches or Presbyterians, and I love them. They're great. We'll we'll duke it out. But it's fine. Yeah, um, I do think uh, one of the things that is is not like you know you know creo baptism is is just like if you're a Baptist everyone knows that. But one of the things that doesn't get flushed out as much is like what are the implications for how we think about ministry and church government and um, you know if you think that uh, your your congregation is indwelt with the Holy Spirit and regenerate um, that puts a higher in Baptist ecclesiology, that puts a higher amount of responsibility on the congregants to uh, manage the church, mm-hmm. to you know, uh, do the work of ministry, and and and, and really, it, like, if you think that that's what a church is, is, is a body of, of um, believers, it, it puts a, an even higher emphasis on evangelism. Um, you don't you don't simply grow your church by having more kids. You grow your church by evangelizing your kids and your neighbors and mm. and the people around you. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um. So, I I've always like when when I first came to Emmanuel, it, it was I I didn't know a whole lot, but it was like it was pretty quick that I started like doing stuff here and like working in ministry, and I had to like vote on pretty large decisions that we were making at the time yeah um yeah uh, i mean you you can talk about some of the logic and how you how like the church is structured uh you know some of our church government around that because i I was pretty new at the time when i was like voting on some of these issues right right so like in a presbyterian uh polity or church government understanding of of things the um, the church can be a mixed community and you you would have you can have um, you know children in the in, that are members of the church and so a lot of the decisions are 
really made by the session, which would be the elder board, the elder team, and they would have a distinguishment between a ruling elder and a teaching elder on that. But the session, the elders, but for example, if there's church discipline, that's determined by the session. Um, it's not a vote that's taken to the whole church, which is I, I, it's hard to, to, to square with Matthew 18, right. which says, yeah. tell it to the church. Yeah. But they would say, well, the, the session can act on behalf of the church. But there's an assumption there that you really can't totally trust the membership of the church to make some of those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that would be a difference. So, th- so we would we would see in the New Testament a congregationalism, which ev- the priesthood of all believers, every member of the body is, like you said, indwelt with the Spirit, regenerate, ideally. Um, if not, <laughs> that will become evident over time that brings that profession of faith into serious question. And then the whole, the whole church together uh, adjudicates that case mm-hmm. and will make that, that decision. Not just the elders, but the, the church body would say, you have been recalcitrant and rebellious against calls to repentance over time, and therefore we are removing your membership. So that's a congregationalism at, at its most important level is that, you know, uh, affirming a profession of faith and admitting someone to membership and then um, enacting discipline when that profession becomes uh, incredible. Is that the right word? Non-credible, not credible. Um but then also uh, that would apply out to other kinds of decisions such as budgets and um, deacon affirming deacons and affirming elders even. Uh, those are, are given to the body. We also do see in the New Testament a an emphasis on leadership, hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so it's not... It's elders not, and pastors. It's not just a pure, like, democracy. Right. Right, so 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 we would say that the New Testament holds out what we, we would call elder-led congregationalism. So the elders are those who are tasked with basically, if if everybody in the church gets keys, you know, the keys of the kingdom, let's say, or you could to make an analogy like you're just going to give everybody in the church keys to the car. <laughs> the the elders are the ones who are like the driver's ed instructors, kind of teaching you how to responsibly use those keys how to responsibly drive the car not to do it for you we're not your chauffeur who just kind of you know just, just sit back and we'll we'll take you we'll do everything for you no we're actually equipping you for the work of ministry um, and teaching you how to drive responsibly and um, so that's elder-led congregationalism so yeah those would be the two things first is baptism which d- determines who's part of the covenant is the new covenant community um just another um, another iteration of the covenant of grace that just like the old covenant was or is it is it truly new and um, baptism is would be the the sign of of covenant membership and therefore we'd only give it to believers so that's for number one believer baptism number two elder-led congregationalism and and a, and a autonomous local church that's um, that's not uh, controlled by outside, you know. In a Presbyterian system, you have the, the local session, but even that is a part of the the regional presbytery, mm-hmm. and that's a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Right. Yeah. And that the church is really that that whole machinery, mm. kind of nationwide, in a sense, and decisions are made there. 
and a local member in a local church is just kind of along for the ride, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I, I think I signed off, like when I studied it out for myself and, and was reading the Bible, I kind of came around to that stuff quickly. It took me a little bit longer to come around to like our involvement with the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. So we can talk about that a little bit. <laughs> um, again, this was all new to me. I, I, I had come to believer baptism convictions for, I think, good biblical reasons. I was a little less aware of some of the historical and, and broader biblical theological reasons, which has been fun to dive into more. Hmm. But I was, I was a credo Baptist. Um, I'd been part of an evangelical free church, and they were autonomous churches. And I, I kind of got that, uh, but, but came to Emmanuel... And really, after I was hired here, because of Emmanuel's particular, I mean, they wanted a, uh, expository preaching, Reformed theology, plural eldership, uh, complementarianism, like these things that were just mm-hmm. like me, yeah. and that was them. Yeah. And I, once I got here, I was like, okay, so what's the Baptist thing really all about? I mean, I'd read the Baptist faith and message, and I was like, yeah, I, I agree with that. But uh, and they were kind of like, we don't really know either. We were just we were planted by a church that was Southern Baptist, and. So we just kind of took that, you know, and um, and so I started looking into it some more, and saw okay, it basically, you know, you there's no real dues you have to pay or any expectations, but you just give to what's called the cooperative program. Each church voluntarily cooperates and gives money into this big pot, and so I think we gave like fifty bucks, like that <laughs> that first year, and all of a sudden I start we start getting knocks on the door like hey you want to be involved this way and i got i got in pretty deep with some denominational committees and stuff like that i got burned for a while took a step back and then slowly got back involved but Hmm. um, but basically the idea is that local autonomous churches that are united in the gospel uh cooperate and and they can they can do things together uh with a baseline kind of theological we're not going to baptize babies and we're um you know going to be autonomous um, and then the, the gospel kind of baseline uh, theological unity and then we can pool our resources and, and do some pretty cool things um, that you can't do kind of just totally by yourself so for example so that money that we we send it's a little bit convoluted I'll try to simplify it but it goes to the state association the state association sends a roughly 50% of that on to the national entity and then that gets split up to these different pots and one of them it would be the international mission board the largest mission sending organization in the world and through that we can send members of our church overseas to an unreached people group and they're completely fully funded mm-hmm. all the all the support system that they need is there they don't have to spend years raising support they can just go be on the field everything's taken care of that's that's pretty cool and that's because there's you know 15 million southern baptists that are pooling into this big pot yeah and um and so a little church like ours can send out you know some of our missionaries are through the imb and and they can go for free right away that's a huge thing another uh part of it the second largest part of it is the north american mission board so not the international mission board but the north american mission board and that funds church planning um, here in the states and so we want to plan a church 
Um, it's not a fully funded thing, but there's some a good chunk of money that um, if we would send out, I mean, our, our vision would be to plant a church in another neighborhood in the city of Chicago. And let's say we send you out, Theo, to plant that church. You can get assessed with the North American Mission Board and then get a good chunk of money uh, to help you um, get that started and lots of other training and resources and stuff. So, and, and, and it's also, we've gotten summer missionaries, um, semester missionaries that come that get insurance and a stipend and can do th- some awesome. cool things with that. Yeah. Then the next chunk below that would be uh, the, the six Southern Baptist uh, seminaries, which uh, are, there's some good theological education going on there. And we've done that. If you're a member of a Southern Baptist church, you can go to those seminaries for 50% tuition, which is pretty pretty darn cheap. And, um, and we've sent several people to, uh, to, to seminary uh, for cheap. And uh, currently, right now, I think Brian's taking a class at Southern Seminary yeah. and uh, gets a huge discount. So mm-hmm. um, what a great opportunity, yeah. you know, being part of something bigger than ourselves. And then even below that would be uh, just a tiny little bit is the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission. And that's headed by Russell Moore. They have like a two-pronged ministry. One, to represent Southern Baptist churches in the public square. Mm -hmm. And then two, to help train members of Southern Baptist churches how to behave and think in the public square. Mm -hmm. And so they do some some policy, um, what's it called? I'm blanking on the word, but they work in D.C. and yeah. they, they uh, lobbying stuff like that. They do good um, work. But they, when we had our, you know, tension with the city of Chicago trying to block our buying of uh, the building, and got involved in the lawsuit, the, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission (ERLC) came into our corner, uh, published an article. Russell Moore stood up for us. Mm-hmm. That caused our case to kind of get noticed in, in bigger circles, and then. Another long story, but the Department of Justice got involved and helped, and I think that was part of being connected to this larger body. And the prayers, I mean, I was on the stage at the Southern Baptist Convention in 2017 in mm-hmm. Phoenix, and thousands of people were praying for us. Mm-hmm. So those are all the good things. Um, <laughs> now there's, there's definitely some negative things. Yeah. I don't know. What, what's your history? What's your like perception of... Southern Baptist. What did you kind of grow up thinking that was, or what are some um, of the, the, the obstacles? Or I never, I never, I never had any animosity towards them personally, but I do remember, like, when I first joined the Baptist Church, and like, I, I like told, or I, I joined IBC, and like, I told some of my friends about it. And they were like kind of stunned, like you joined a Southern Baptist church, bro. <laughs> so what? What is it? What does that mean to them? Uh, teetotaling, kind of, I guess, like kind of uh, legalistic, a bit squarish, uh, hmm. not not super. Uh, uh, just, I don't really understand it because, like, I've I've actually kind of been in churches that were like very fundamentalist and stuff like that and um southern baptist is definitely not that but there i mean there is a a little bit more of a of a rigid ethos i guess like that kind of gets pervaded out there yeah um 
to that, I always just say like any big family has got crazy uncles. And when you have, I mean, this is the largest Protestant denomination in the country. You're going to get all kinds of weird, you know, in a big yeah. spectrum. So, yeah. I mean, when you, you have, like I said, like, I forget, it's over 4,000, 5,000 churches, 15 million members, I think, something like that. Sure. Um, you're going to have, you're going to have some things that are kind of embarrassing on all sides. And so you got a church that's got Rick Warren. I mean, Southern Baptist Convention has Rick Warren, yeah. has Mark Dever, right? Yeah. Has, um, has all kinds. It's a big, a big thing. And so you're yeah. going to get some weird stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I, don't, I think nowadays, like, like me personally, like, there, there are some like Southern Baptists. They're, they're the, in my opinion, like the weird uncle of, of the family. But, but like we're still family, and we can still like hang out and, and talk and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and then I have like, yeah, we we got our tribe in the Southern Baptist, which I, I think does good work and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fits my, yeah. my 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 own theological beliefs, but also is like. Well, you know, open to working with other people to proclaim right. the gospel, and I think that's a good thing in right. general. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and we can have an influence on some churches. I, I get frustrated sometimes. There is a, I mean, it's very the Baptist faith. The message is very far from like the 1689. It's gotten kind of watered it's, down. It's, it's very. A, it's a little bit mushy. Yeah. Kind of thin. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of leeway for just some not really robust theology i think a lot what holds it together is missiology and i think that sometimes gets frustrating and hard Mm -hmm. um uh there's politics in it that kind of can make things a little kind of leave a sour taste in your mouth but that's you know that's how it goes with anything any any organization um then you got the whole like actually the southern baptist convention was formed out of slaveholders yeah. wanting to wanting to keep wanting to be able to send missionaries overseas that were slaveholders and yeah. the northern baptists would say no that's wrong and that's how the southern baptist was was formed and that's a huge stain um and a, and a sad thing that you had to be honest about in that history yeah. that still has effects today um locally what's kind of cool in the chicago there's 160 some Southern Baptist churches in Chicagoland and more than half of them are black Baptist churches. Yeah. And so in our, in our local sort of association and expression of this, it, it actually, for me, it's a great way to, to be part of something diverse, to, to, to be a learner and to, to sit, to also to kind of demonstrate to the city and to the, our, our you know, local yeah. region that we're part of something that's, bringing people together across racial right. ethnic lines yeah yeah no it's, it's it's honestly like uh it's it's pretty cool to like hear from those other pastors who like um you know for the sake of unity and and for a lot of reasons decided to 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 sign up to be a part of our our group and stuff like that and um yeah that is that has been like a a, a huge blessing just to, to get to know other other pastors who are coming from like very different contexts than mine and, and hear right. their voice and then see what they have to say and how they, they process things so even this morning there was a yeah. prayer call with Chicagoland Baptist pastors and 
very diverse group, and that's been happening every week. Theo got to hang in, hanging out with that a little bit, mm-hmm. a couple times, and connect with another pastor. He's African American on the South Side. He's yeah. pastored his church for over fifty years. Just sit down and talk with him, pick his brain on stuff that's going on recently. That's been helpful. Um, I have a retirement account with the Southern Baptist Annuity Board called Guidestone. That's amazing. I, I didn't know that. If I die, there's a $75,000 death benefit I just get automatically, or my family gets, just for being part of the Southern Baptist Church. I mean, I could go on and on. There are perks. Yeah. Uh, also, even though it, the confessional part of it is a little bit thin, it's still pretty solid on inerrancy and um, just kind of yeah, the the Bible, um, the inspiration authority of the Bible, um, which is, if you look, if you study church history, kind of what happened with most American denominations, I mean, all of them really, is they, they, they drifted into modernism and liberalism and away from scripture. And then there was people in there kind of trying to fight that, but they eventually lost and they'd have to kind of leave and start their own denomination. Right. Yeah. And when they did that, so like Princeton, for example, Princeton um, went went liberal, yeah. and so Machen had to. I mean, that was where you had a lot of the American heroes of mm. Warfield and Hodge and stuff. Machen was the last of those. He had to leave and start Westminster from scratch, mm. and start the the Orthodox Presbyterian Church from scratch. And when that happened, they lost all the institutions. They lost all the endowments. They lost all the the infrastructure and the buildings and all the, the resources and had to start over. So if you look at Westminster campus versus Princeton campus, it's not the same. Mm. What happened with the Southern Baptists is, I mean, they were going the same way, um, moving, drifting towards liberalism. And in fact, kind of the leaders in the 60s and 70s were um, moderates and progressives. And there was crazy stuff happening at, at Southern Seminary. And... What happened is there was a resurgence because I think of the um, the priesthood of all believers and the, yeah. the the power that's given to like individuals and yeah. grassroots from the bottom up to take it back. And what ended up happening, I don't think this has ever happened anywhere else with another institution, is that the liberals left, the the ones who held to the the original kind of core doctrines of 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 the faith stayed and kept those institutions and so we have gorgeous campuses we have all the those bank accounts you know we kept those things and are using them for gospel gospel ends which is a huge blessing again it can also be a a curse and a a snare power but um but i think it's it's kind of cool how that happened and and i would just say this I, i mean i've seen some people kind of leave and they they kind of have this rosy colored glass view of like I'm going to go be part of the OPC and not have to deal with any of this stuff anywhere you go you're going to have problems you're going to have historical issues and and you're going to have heretics even in the OPC and heresy trials and you're going to have obnoxious things happening and controversies and scandals uh, in any denomination so what are you going to do if you're going to link up with anybody it's going to be messy. It's going to be frustrating at times. There's going to be embarrassing people in it, and it's going to be hard, but it's good to still be part of something bigger than just yourself or your local church. And so that's why I can still stomach it. 
<laughs> I don't. I mean, there. I mean, there's still some things that like Southern Baptists do and stuff like that. That kind of like. It's 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 not great, and I yeah. I get that, but I. For now, like I, I, I really do think like the, the pros outweigh the cons, and I, I think, um, you know, the way it's set up, that they, they kind of help us in ways that we need help, and then kind of let us lead people on the grounds the way they see, we see fit. Yeah. So nobody's meddled and yeah. said anything like about how we do things here. Yeah. But they've given us a mortgage for our building. No bank was going to give a church our size a mortgage, but our denomination did. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know. So we'll keep doing what we do. We'll keep influencing and trying to be part of yeah. spreading health yeah. in, in that. And we'll keep hanging out with Pentecostals and Methodists and well, others who, are, we, who we can partner with on the gospel. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but that's why we're Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we're not changing it to, you know, flow or flood or um, bloodstained door church or some cool hip oikos Greek word Latin word name. <laughs> we're just gonna be a church, uh, and we're part of a we're part of a tradition. We're part of a historic stream, and we're connected with other believers. Yeah, and. Yeah, hopefully this has been a helpful conversation, a little initiation or insight or if you have so. other questions we're yeah. glad to answer. Yep. Yeah. I hope you uh too can one day wave your Baptist flag up high. <laughs> well that's not really wave the Jesus flag. <laughs> but uh Yeah. <laughs> All right. Until next time. <laughs>